Rejection is one of Satan's, in my opinion, one of his greatest weapons for destruction. To get you rejected does a wound that causes an emotional wound of your heart and of your soul probably more than anything else. And as we're looking at, I'm going to pick right up, pardon the two-week break in between, but I'm going to pick right up in the story of Joseph. And we're going to look at how the enemy worked his very best methods to reject this man chosen of God. The rejection of the enemy for our destruction. It happens all over the place. It happens in all of our families around. Many of you may have come from brokenness and, and a lot of hurt and abuse and potential and rejection from your own families. That's a real possibility because I did some research about what's happening in family life around us. And, it, and I have here that 37% of American children are reported to protective services by their 18th birthday. 37% by their 18th birthday. One in four girls, one in six boys will be sexually abused during their childhood. That's massive numbers of people. 325,000 children are at risk of becoming victims of commercial child sexual exploitation each year. 207,000 children receive foster care in the year, in the previous year. This child abuse that is happening goes across every social economic stratus, every educational level. All kinds of religions are involved, ethnic and cultural groups. It just goes across the board with these kids being damaged. When that occurs, these abused children, says 25% are more likely to experience teen pregnancy because they're trying to fill a, an emptiness that was created in their heart. Abused teens are more likely to engage in sexual risk-taking during their teenage years. 30% of abused and neglected children will later abuse and neglect their children. That's that generational curse then unless it's stopped, is passed on. <clears throat> About 80% of 21-year-olds that were abused as children met criteria for at least one psychological disorder. The financial cost per year in America to bring care to these people that have been abused is about $585 billion a year. All coming from, ultimately, the enemy's action of rejection. Abuse and rejection are the greatest weapon, I think, to try to destroy individuals. A modern word to describe Joseph's family is dysfunctional. The guy we're looking at today in Scripture, Joseph, his family was very dysfunctional. Things were not normal there. His father had four wives. You know the story of him forgetting Leah, Rachel's sister. Then he has Belhazilpah and also <clears throat> his favorite wife, <clears throat> excuse me, Rachel, of which he worked for 14 years in order to be able to get Rachel. So he had 11 brothers, this Joseph, 11 brothers, one sister, and those were all scattered among four wives. You can tell right now we've got trouble, right? Amazing. With all that mixture, you can tell that there was animosity 
a great deal of animosity between the children and probably between the wives in that family. It was very dysfunctional. You, we see in Genesis chapter 37 verse 3, Joseph, and it says this, was his father's favorite son. And like I said the last time I was with you, that's a bad tendency of parenting. Don't have a favorite child. You may have it, but you've got to lie your whole life and don't tell them, okay? Because each child needs to know that you love them dearly. And Joseph's favorite son was by his favorite wife, Rachel, of which that he, he was the, that was the one that he truly loved. Joseph knew and his brothers knew that he was the favorite of the father. So you had all of this contention, all of this warring and fighting going on. And if you will, turn in your Bibles to Genesis 37, and that's where we're going to pick up the story today. Genesis 37, starting in verse 12. His brothers had gone to pasture their father's flocks at Shechem. Israel said to Joseph, tell your brothers, you know you are pasturing the flocks at Shechem. Get ready. I'm sending you to them. I'm ready, Joseph replied. Then Israel, that's his father Jacob, or Israel, go and see how your brothers and your flocks are doing and bring uh, word back to me. So he sent him to the valley of Hebron and then to Shechem. A man found him wandering in the field and asked him, what are you looking for? He said, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they, pasture, where they are pasturing the flocks? They've moved from here, the man said. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph set out after his brothers and found them in Dothan. They saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they were plotting to kill him. They said to one another, here comes that dreamer. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these pits. We can say that a vicious animal has eaten him, and we'll, we'll see what becomes of this dream when we kill him. <clears throat> Remember the last time we were together, I talked about the importance of the dream. The dream God planted in your heart even as a young child. Pay attention to those dreams. But do you remember the dreams made the sons or the brothers think that, he, that Joseph was going to be ruling over them and they did not want to hear that. So that's what, why they're so angry at this time. <clears throat> Verse 21. When Joseph, 23, skills, when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped off his robe the robe of many colors that he had on. Then they took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty, but there was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat a meal. They looked up and there was a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were carrying aromatic gum, balsam, and resin going down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what do we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. His brothers agreed. When Midianite traders passed by, they pulled Joseph out of the pit. They sold him for 20 pieces of silver and the, uh, sold him to the Ishmaelites, who took Joseph down to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit, he saw that Joseph was not there. He tore his clothes and he went back to his brothers and said, the boy is gone. I skipped it up here, but 
uh, Reuben had said to him, let's just put him in the pit. Let's don't kill him. Because Reuben had said, had it in his heart that he was going to go back and save him, was going to rescue him. So Reuben had a heart of rescue in him. So they took Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, young goat, dipped the robe in the blood. They sent the robe of many colors to their father and said, we found this. Examine it. Is this your son's robe or not? His father recognized it. That is my son's robe, he said. A vicious animal devoured him. Joseph has been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth around his waist, and mourned for his son for many days. All his sons and daughters tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will go down to Sheol, or the grave, to my son mourning. And his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer in Pharaoh, of Pharaoh in the captain of, to the captain of the guard. So you get to see in this story a dysfunctional family, a lot of internal conflict, a whole lot of rejection, and even the concept of being willing to kill one of their brothers. So it was not good. It was not healthy. But it reveals to us the condition of humanity. In, in this chapter we just read, the sin condition of man, Paul described over in the New Testament like this in Romans 3, 23. It says, all of us are sinners or have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. See, the results of sin condition in us, you were born into sin, and so this is natural within us, is that we're bent toward sin. When it's around, we're tempted or to, we're pushed or pulled toward sinfulness. We are without redemption. If we are without redemption of Jesus Christ, we, the only thing that we can be is separated from God. And then when we live separated from God, here comes the next bad part. We learn or try to be God of ourselves. We try to rule our own life. We want to create God in our image. And that's where culture is outside of Jesus. Trying to create a God that looks like them. That makes them happy. But we're spiritually dead in this sin. We're spiritually blind in this sin. And we have a total inability to help ourselves. That's people without the Lord. They may look normal. They may work in the same chairs or cubicles beside us. They may have the same joys and pleasures of life, but there's a brokenness and emptiness within that cannot be fixed by ourselves. Paul said this in Romans 3.22 just before. says, there's a righteousness from God that comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And then it ends with this says, and there is no difference. Thank you, Jesus, for that word. Here's what it means. There's no difference between rich and poor for him. There's no difference between the religious or the pagan in him. There is no difference between Jew or Gentile. There's no young or old for anybody can come to the Lord Jesus Christ. There, you can be a criminal or a choir boy. You can be American or you can be from Kenya. There's no difference. We are all in the same boat. Can you relate to the story in any way? 
is this story for use particularly today. You come or came from a broken home. This story's for you. You were abused and you've never told. This story's for you. Some of you have families that just do not understand you. This story's for you. The human condition that threatened the survival of this covenant family. Remember, God made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and now extending through Joseph that he was going to create a line of which the blessing of God was going to flow through the line of that, of that genealogy. But there were some things that could break or destroy that line from being here because we needed to have it because out of this line came the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus. And it, there were many things that could try to stop that. The enemy had several plans to try to disrupt that family. Unrighteous marriages with foreign nations was, uh, remember God says, don't intermingle with the ungodly cultures so that we can keep the line pure. At the age of 17, Joseph was sent to work alongside half of his brothers, and they, two of them were from foreign women. Bilhah and Zilpah, they were concubines to Jacob. There was a lot of antagonism in their home with these numerous wives and their children competing for the attention of the father. And so uh, you can see that that was an attempt to break up the family line. Family division and family violence. Because Jacob showed preference to Joseph. As a matter of fact, he gave him a coat. And we know it's of many colors. But one of the definitions of the definition of the coat is that it was a coat with long sleeves. Primarily represented the coat of the, of, the, of the primary son, of the firstborn son. If you know Jewish culture, the firstborn was the most important in the family because he got uh, double the inheritance and he had to take care of the property and the parents, so he got an extra portion. Well, if you'll know, notice Joseph was not firstborn of all of those 12 boys or 11 boys he was the firstborn of Rachel, the wife that he loved. And so you can tell because that coat went to him, it identified him as the primary son. So there's a lot of conflict, family division. And they also were facing a famine that was about to kill the family. Now, I want to show you real quickly the three effects of rejection. When rejection is happening, this is why it is important that we serve a good, good father that they just sang about. And it's important that we, God's people, learn to have nothing come out of our mouth except words of life and words of blessing. That must be the case. We must bring our tongue under control everywhere we are and bring life because we know in Scripture that it says that the power of the tongue has the power to bring life or death Blessing or cursing, two very powerful forces, and it says we are to be careful with that. What's the, what's the effects of rejection? Well, the enemy's purpose is to steal from you, kill you, and destroy you, and he will use rejection 
getting planted, rooted in your soul. Stay with me. Get rooted in your soul. And if it digs deep, that rejection will cause a bitterness in you and will cause you to be under a curse that will make you be seated and quiet. Not dangerous. You're called to be dangerous for the kingdom of God. You're not of this world. You're not tethered to this world. You are not controlled by the mindset of this world. You're controlled by a spirit of the living God. We are a vessel that contains the very presence of the spirit of God. So that everywhere that we go, we walk into the room. The spirit of the Lord goes with us into that room. And people will look at you differently. They'll look at you maybe weird, uh, but over a period of time, you will see them attracted to you like a magnet because they want that presence of God that you demonstrate in your life. The motive of the curse is to cause us to be killed. And we'll see this. Look at verse 4 of chapter 37. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more, notice that they hated him. These are fleshly emotions without the control of the Spirit. Look at what it does. They had jealousy. They even hated him. Look at verse uh, 37.8. And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had, so, what he had said. There's a misunderstanding. People will misunderstand you. You're calling. You're called to be like Jesus in a very difficult world. They won't understand that. But, and fleshly emotions will cause them to react against you. But in verse 18, they saw him in the distance and before he could reach them, they plotted to kill him. Do you see the, the abuse? They wanted to stop this. They wanted to abuse this to keep this down. And then the, in verse 28 is when they sold him into slavery. All of those are elements of the curse. Look at it. Jealousy, misunderstanding, abuse, and ultimately bondage or slavery. That all comes out of living under the curse. Many of you today might be able to remember back into a time in your life, probably in your earlier life, when there was something done, a word spoken or an action against you that tried its best to put rejection planted in your heart. If you can find it, I'm, I'd almost risk you to find it and go to it. What is the place where it was planted in you, a sense of rejection, which bottom line says it's either through abuse or through a curse of a word or through the generational curse of families, but it all it says to you, and it even has what I call a, a cyclonic thought, in that that curse will rotate in your thoughts. It won't always be at the front of your mind, but it always comes around. And especially when the Lord speaks to you and he's calling you out and he's saying, I want you to be set free from that bondage. I didn't put you as a slave. I broke the chains for you on the cross. And when he said to the abused, you're no longer the abused. You're a, chi you're a child of, the God, of God and I've selected you. I've adopted you into my family. So he's taking all of the excuses of rejection and wiped them out. And he says, I want you, God's people, to stand up in a new kind of power. And the power of God is, how would you fill in that blank? 
What is this power of God? Simple. Love. The power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit is a move of love. And if we begin to have that power of God, we love people. And they're not used to that. They're used to abuse and rejection and knocking them down and destroying them. So that's why, uh, as God's people, we come up against people in their bondage. Some really twisted in their thinking. And it shows on the outside, or it may show in the attitude that they bring, a, a critical attitude. But I have not found anyone that if you walk up to and you begin to speak words of life into them, you begin to see things change. That's who we're called to be. You know what the religious do? Religion lifts its nose to people that are in bondage and says, we're better than you and you're not like us. You don't belong here. You know what Jesus does? He goes to where they are and hangs out with them and loves them. Would you be okay with that? Because that's what he is. He is, the power of God is, the, is his love. And he goes to people broken and twisted up in their thinking. He goes to them and says, son, I love you. I, I can smell you've been eating pig feed, but I love you. I can tell you've been in some bad places, but I love you. Because I saw you turn toward home, and I'm running after you. That's the father we serve. He's good. He's a good, good father. Listen, the God who redeems, he also restores, and he empowers. And I'm about done. Stay with me. Look at this Joseph real quickly. If God had given Joseph, if he had, given, um, had not given Joseph these dreams into his future leadership, if God had not allowed Joseph's brothers to sell him into bondage, if God had not blessed Joseph in each step of the journey with favor and leadership, if you'll, we'll get to the rest of the story. But everywhere Joseph went, bad places, slavery places, God raised him up in every place, used him and raised him up in every place. If God had not given Joseph the gift of dream interpretation, if God had not created a godly character in Joseph, then the covenant promise could have died with this family. Possibly would not have gone on through. How did God use Joseph? Well, God used Joseph to settle his family down in Goshen. Now stay with me. Goshen was a very fertile place where his brothers and their families came right outside of Egypt and, and Pharaoh gave them Goshen. And they said it was a land of promise. But it was a land separated from the Egyptians because the Egyptians were felt superior to the Hebrews. And so they really didn't, the Egyptians didn't want to intermingle with them. They're a lesser people. But when doing that, it protected that family line from getting involved in the things of Egypt. Do you see that? How God worked in the midst of all that mess. God's plan was still getting done every time. Because the, uh, when God was in control, even when Joseph was put into bad situations. So I want to say to you, Vicki, come on up. No matter what the curse has said to you, no matter what that abuse told you about you, no matter what rejection has 
tried to define you as. No matter what pits you have found yourself in, God shows up in our rejection and places us constantly for his purpose. I want you to get this more than anything. Wherever you are, wherever you've been, whatever's been done to you, whatever you've done, and to the point we think God can't be here, God can't use me, God could never be where I've been. I'm telling you, God is in the, that place all the time in charge, moving you to a place to be redeemed, used, and restored fully. The enemy says, set there in your misery. God says, I've set you free from the curse of sin and of death. Our God is awesome. And nothing and nobody can stop his work. Because he is bigger than all of that. Would you bow your head? The enemy says to you, you're not worthy. The enemy says you're never going to be good enough. Stop listening to that. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says, I have you. Let life, let the enemy throw at you what it will. I have you. I will place you where you can have the most impact for my kingdom. I got you. Are you stuck in your curse? Are you stuck in rejection? I'm going to have some people down here in the front, and they're going to be ready to pray for you. That the chains fall off, that the rejection is broken today. Are you carrying guilt? Are you carrying a shame that's numbing? Are you condemned to the point that you're living in paralysis because of something done to you or something you did to somebody else? And you want to have that removed today? Jesus already paid for that on the cross. You just come and get it. I would say this is the day of redemption for anyone who's willing, who has heard the voice of God, as being led by the Lord. We're going to take just a moment now and we're going to worship. I'm going to have prayer partners in this altar. And if God's dealing with you, I'm saying don't walk out of these walls in any form of bondage. Don't leave without the freedom and the power of Christ in your life today. Would you stand?